Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. First Peter chapter 2, starting from verse uh, 13 all the way to verse 25. And I, I just wanted to uh, see if we can have some honest people as I ask this question. How many of you, growing up as a kid, you are pretty much a compliant child? Raise your hand. Go ahead. All right. Good half of you. And how many of you growing up, you were the opposite? You were a very rebellious kid. Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, we're going to pray for these brothers and sisters. <laughs> so know that it's, uh, it's not easy uh, for parents to raise uh, rebellious children. But I'm asking this question because I think in many ways, when you think about how we've been raised, uh, the way we've been parented, or maybe the environment that we're uh, part of, it is really easy to just go with the flow. And I'm not saying that all rebellious people are the ones who go against the flow. And I'm not saying that all compliant children are the ones that are always going with the status quo. But I will say that depending on how you were raised, that will determine in many ways in terms of are you willing to go against the flow. I, I'm constantly amazed how you could have two kids coming out of the same womb, uh, same environment in the home, but they are completely different. And I think a lot of it is just the way God wired us up. Sometimes it's part of personality. Uh, Sometimes it's the people that we're around, the experiences that we have in our lives. All these things play a part of who we are right now as you're sitting there. And I think some, some people will say, well, also it's birth order depending on where you were born in that order. If you're the firstborn, you're probably more responsible, uh, you're more control freak and all this other stuff. If you're the youngest, you don't have a care in the world. You know, your parents let you do anything ever since you were day old. But it, it just kind of works that way where I think birth order plays a lot. Some of you who are the middle children, black sheep of the family, as they say, uh, I'm a middle child. Uh, we have a lot of issues, but I like to distinguish myself. I'm the middle child, but I'm the oldest son. And those of you who know anything about Korean culture, oldest sons trump everything. And so I grew up almost like an oldest child, but yet middle child syndrome. And so birth order plays a part in all this. Now the question is this. Why is it that some people are willing to endure hardships and go through suffering while other people are not. So I want you to think about that for a moment. Why is it that some people are willing to endure through suffering and difficulties to do what's right, while other people are just okay with the status quo and they are not willing to do what's right? And I think this is something that I want us to think about because some of you might know who he is. I quote him quite a bit if if you want he wrote several books that I think it's worth they're worth reading by him Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor theologian and as many of you know he was an anti-Nazi dissenter and so during this whole time when uh, Germany was just taking over all of Europe uh, he was a small group of people him and a, a small group of people they were trying to train future pastors and leaders underground 
And so they can be part of the resistance. So they will go against the flow, especially when he began to realize that everything that's happening in Germany and everything that Hitler was doing, that it was going against scripture. And so I thought it was really interesting because as he um, was kind of fighting uh, part of the resistance, um, as many of you know, on April, I believe it's April 9th in 1945, he ended up becoming a martyr as Hitler found out of some of the things that he was doing and he ended up killing himself. What I wanted to do is just show you a video of just a really quick history about his life and what he had, what he went through, what he did. It's from someone who studied Bonhoeffer quite a bit. He wrote a book on it and he's just giving some of his research as he's sharing the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So let's watch this together and I'll just come back up. My question to you this morning is, where are those types of people in our generation? And I share this because uh, this is just in all sincerity. It's people like that that I think really transform the world. And I'm, I've been addressing it. I've been trying to help us to have some perspective on it. This virus thing will pass, trust me, it will pass. And then there's gonna be something else. I'm wondering if there will ever come a day where there will be a lot of persecution for even just gathering like this, not because it's a virus that we're freaking out because we might die, but just gathering like this will actually risk your life. You're gonna get in prison. Then I'm wondering how many of us will actually gather together. Some of you, in light of the protests, I mean, it was very scary. It was fearful. But that passed. Well, we'll see what happens after this virus. And then this coronavirus happened, and we're all going through hysteria. And please don't misunderstand me. I understand the seriousness of it. I understand more people are getting affected. China is changing the numbers and the metrics of which they measure. I'm keeping up with it as best as I can. But I'm telling you, there will always be something in your life and in this world. And so unless you actually believe that you already are dead to yourself, but alive in Christ. So whether the Lord takes you or something happens to you, that just like the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Until we can have that in, in the words of what you heard, the person who was giving that biography of Bonhoeffer, of Bonhoeffer, he says that when you think about your life, if you're already dead, then the difference is, do you have this robust faith or is it just religiosity or the Sunday Christianity that so many of us are so used to. And as you know, we're going over this whole series on the book of 1 Peter, and the whole theme is about persecution and suffering and difficulties in life. And why our genuine faith in Jesus Christ, that's purer than any gold or silver, that is imperishable, undefiled, this kind of faith that comes forth 
from a lot of times through trials, through hardships in your life. Some of you have never gone through a lot of difficult things. That's why your faith is just comfortable. Maybe I'm wondering if that's what God is doing in your life to challenge you. So you won't feel as so entitled. Or you won't feel this Christianity is something that you just kind of grew up with, but it means something to you. So that's what I was thinking. I was kind of, even though I knew quite a bit about his biography, as I was kind of reading up on it again, I was just thinking, where are these types of people? And I believe that every generation, God raises up these types of people, but I'm looking for these types of people who already know that they're dead to themselves, but alive in Christ, and they have a robust faith that walking with Christ, living for Christ, living by faith, is an exciting adventure, and they cannot imagine doing anything else or living for anyone else. I like what... Uh, Bonhoeffer said, uh, Al Alistair McGrath in his book, Faith and Creeds, he quotes Bonhoeffer, and he says this, Bonhoeffer says, Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless and the infinite worthlessness of that which is seemingly so valuable. I thought that was a great quote. Because if you read this, you realize that many of us, we got it backwards in our lives. A lot of us, we put a lot of worth on things that are pretty much worthless. We're not going to be able to take it with us. I'm not saying that they're not important. But in light of eternity, it really doesn't matter what kind of GPA you have. Trust me, I, I got some good news for all of you students. God will not ask for your GPA. Some of you are like, hallelujah. Like, he will not ask for your GPA. He will not ask you about your bank account, if you had a car, if you had your own place. He would not even ask you about your marital status, how many children you had, or how many of your children went to schools that you couldn't get into, but you drove your kids to go into those schools. He's not going to see if you put on a lot of face masks so that it's really soft and you look like part of the Korean drama. He's not going to ask any of those things. That's why in light of eternity, so many of us are putting worth on things that are worthless. And those things are worth something. But we have completely just have not valued them at all. And I think this is one of the reasons why some of us have such a hard time when it comes to hardships and difficulties. We're not willing to go through things that are hard. Even though it's an obedience to Christ, we don't want to go through that. Because we don't think it's worth it. We don't think Christ is worth it. We don't think God's mission is worth it. And this is where I, I, I'm constantly amazed at all of us, this is myself included, that we have this subtle, I mean, we're not going to be vocal about it, it's very subtle. You've you got you to sniff it out. This, this weird entitlement that we think that God owes us something. He doesn't owe us anything. He can take your life today. And he doesn't owe you anything. 
we somehow think that we did all these things for you, God, or all these things that I'm trying to do for you right now, he doesn't owe us anything. So that's why I'm wondering if some of the things that we're going through is a process in which God is trying to refine us and to purify us so our faith will come forth as greater than gold, of eternal value, so that whatever we will face that we're facing now and we will face in the future, that that kind of faith will enable us to go through it so we can give glory and praise to God. So as we continue in our Nevertheless series on the book of 1 Peter, I want to talk about this last section of chapter 2 and just kind of put it in the theme of the one thing. And the one thing is simply this, that we can face adversity, no matter what it is you're going to go through in your life, we can face adversity when we submit to God's authority. The only way that you're going to be able to go through some of the adversities in your life is when you're already decided and you say, God, I'm going to submit under your authority. Because ultimately, everything flows from you. With that kind of heart, that's when how you're going to be able to face whatever comes your way. So let me talk about two specific things as we look into this passage. Uh, we're going to talk about how we can face adversity when we submit to God's authority. Let me talk about the first thing, and we'll see this in verse uh, 13 through 17, and then I'll go into the next section. The first thing I want to mention about this is that we must fight with love, that we have to fight with love. And I don't know what battle that some of you are facing. Some of you are in different situations where you have to fight different battles. But I think it's important to understand that we have to fight. Whatever it is that you're fighting right now, we have to fight it with love. So let me go ahead and start from verse 13 and read all the way through verse 17. Listen to what it says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as set, sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For it is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. Now, let me just pause here. This is a, a section that we need to understand very clearly. After reminding the believers, if you just kind of look a little bit earlier in verse 11 and verse 12, if you remember even all the way up to verse 10, you will notice that in those verses earlier from last week, Peter, what he does is that he reminds the believers of their identity, who they are. They're, they're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people called by God, belonging to God, called by God. They were once in darkness. Now they have entered into this marvelous light. He gives them their identity, and then he also talks about influence. Now, this is, this is very important, because after he mentions that, right off in verse 13, he starts off and he talks about people who have authority over them. Now, you'll, you'll notice here in verse 13, he mentions that there are emperors, the emperor, and then there are governors. These are people of power. People that make up human institutions that govern over us. 
And the exhortation in verse 13 is very clear. Listen to what he says. Peter says, be subject, or if you will, be submitted to every human institution. Now, look at verse 15. Peter gives the reason why we should submit ourselves to these various institutions. Now, before some of your mind go off way to the alley, I'm going to address that thought that you, some of you have right now. But later, I want you to first follow along with me with Peter's logic. And then I'm going to establish what he's trying to say and then address it by addressing some of the issues that come with submitting to authority. Government, police, other human institution that is established by God. So in verse 15, Peter gives the reason. So he first states the exhortation that you ought to submit yourself or be subject to human institutions. Like the, with the emperor and the governors, and that's what he's mentioning. And then in verse 15, I want you to quickly notice that he gives a reason why. There are two things you'll see right away. The first thing is this, because it is the will of God. The reason why we submit to those in authority, especially these human institutions that we see in this world, is because for the Lord's sake, and it is also the will of God. Everyone say, the will of God. So once again, everyone's like, Pastor, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. That's why I always say, if, if you can't obey what you already see as His will, then I don't know if He's going to show you those things that are yet to be known. The phrase, the will of God, has this idea or this connotation of something that is expressed as a result of one's purpose and of one's desire. So pretty much when it says the will of God, this is God's heart. This is his purpose. So he says, be subject to those in authority in every human institution because he says it is the will of God. Now, as Christ's followers, we are responsible to obey the law because common laws, listen to me carefully, Common laws bring order to society. We don't live in an anarchy. You look at many other places, you realize when there is a lack of order, then the whole place is in chaos. So the reason why we have laws and we obey laws is because it brings order to society. And listen to me carefully, it is for the common good. Now, I will address later when sometimes... And you'll see this in every country, in every government. You will have people who will abuse their power. We understand that. We actually see it in videos. But it's very clear. By having laws, it brings order to a society. And that's why it is the will of God for us to submit. Romans chapter 13 talks about that as well in verse 1 and 2. And also in verse 5. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Read the yellow, bold, highlighted. It says this, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. So you must submit to them, 
not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Now, Paul is talking about, as well as Peter, of the governing authorities, but you can apply this in many areas of your life. That God places other people with authority. It doesn't mean that their word is God's word. It doesn't mean that they have the final say in everything, because ultimately it's God. But God places different authorities in our lives because, once again, that is his will. Another passage, Titus chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Listen to what it says as he's talking to Titus, Apostle Paul. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this, Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. So here's Peter clearly establishing the reason why you ought to submit to human institutions that he created in these government authorities is because he says it is the will of God. And why is it the will of God? Why is that the purpose and the desire of God? Because laws bring order to a society. Can I just say this? Peter is not endorsing a particular government. Rather, he's encouraging and supporting the importance of law and order. So in order for us to believe in this truth and obey those in, in authority over us, you got to believe a couple things. So as soon as I say this, some of you are like, no, I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to believe in it. So those of you who raised your hand and you see your compliant children, now you're rebelling too. So everyone's rebelling. No, we're not going to do this. But let me explain. There are two things you have to believe in order to believe this. And what are those two things? You have to believe that ultimately God is in control. Because if you don't really believe that, it's going to be hard for you to submit to any authority. And then you also have to believe that God can use people and situations for his purposes. Is the virus situation bad? Of course it is. That's a product of the fall, the sin. We have disease. So God didn't create it or force it. So you got to understand God is good. But he uses things. For something greater. And I've shared this and I'll keep on sharing until we get it in our brain and in our hearts. Is that I think this whole virus situation more than anything else is exposing Hong Kong, their values, and even the people in Hong Kong, what it is that we're pursuing after. <laughs> there are a lot of things that God is doing even in China that we don't even know. That's going to have ramifications for our mission even for the next 10, 20 years that we have no clue. That's why you got to believe he's in control and that he's carrying out his purpose for his glory. You have to believe in order to believe this exhortation. Proverbs chapter 21 reminds us of that. Verse 1, it says, The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. 
government institutions, other institutions, even our parents, because they have some level of the authority over us. God is using all of this to get you where he wants you to go. Some of you come from very difficult homes. Some of you are in strife and fighting with your parents for various things. Do you know that it's good for you? I know it's hard to hear it, but it's good for you because it's purifying your heart, your motive. Maybe your whole life, all you did was just please them and that's it. And then Jesus came into this picture and you're like, okay, Jesus and my parents, who am I trying to please? And your parents have constantly won. And maybe God is saying, this is enough. I'm going to use this situation to purify you because I have something greater for you in the years to come or even this next year. And until you win this battle, you're not going to be able to get to that place that I want you to be. Do you also know that your parents, they will never come to know Jesus Christ because you are their functional God. Why do they need a savior if you're their savior? You're the one who's going to make the money because you go to the school. They want you to do this major. You're going to provide for them in different ways. You give them at least some respectability amongst their friends because you go to this particular school or you studied abroad and all these things. And some of you don't even see it that many, many ways, some of your parents, they look to you as you being the functional God. And if you would just wake up and understand that even in situations like this, with the virus, with the protest, and something else is going to come up, that maybe God is trying to work not only on you, but also on your parents. My dad did not come to know Jesus Christ until he finally realized that my son, my oldest son, from many generations when they had the chosen, you know, the real old, you know, like funny looking Korean hands and all that stuff, you know, those movies. Like all the way down, I don't know how far, all the way down. There's, there's about four different kids, and we're from, yeah, uh, we're royalty. Yangman. <laughs> and so, no one has become a pastor. We're all like doctors, professors, and all this stuff, lawyers, all the way down. And now his son is good. And so, my dad did not talk to me for about two, three months. Like, literally, he did not talk to me. I thought he was going to disown me. Because he was such a proud man. But guess what God did? He used this to break my dad. And as I began to pray for him, and as God started working on his heart, he started coming out to church with my mom. He started reading the Bible. He started listening to those sermon tapes. And it happened every single time I was not there. So when I would go back for the fall break or the autumn break, he would be reading the Bible. I'm like, what? I wasn't even here for this. But then he's reading the Bible. I'll come back for Christmas break, and all of a sudden I find out that he's listening to these sermons. I'm like, what? I wasn't even here for that. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Some of you have had this burden. I want to be at home, and I'm going to try to evangelize to my parents. God doesn't need you. And I pray that he will humble you to realize he doesn't need you. I had to learn that the hard way. Because I thought it was on me. 
Like, I'm going to try to live my life really well. And so that when he sees me or when my family sees me, they will be like, what must I do to be saved? You know, you know that kind of stuff. So I'm like, okay, I, I'm ready to go. I'm going to live this life. And I'm going to try to spend time and have these conversations with my parents. And what I really began to realize is it's all me. I think I'm God. So God being so smart, well, infinitely smart, he decided, I'm going to work on your dad when you're not there. And I will just give you a glimpse when you do come back that I'm already working. Get me in the game. That's just like God. And he's going to humble some of you. You're going to go home and think, I'm going to do all this stuff, and then nothing. It's even worse. And then you go away, and then revival. (laughs) The king's heart, the executive director, the prime minister, POTUS, president of the United States. It doesn't matter. The, the, the queen, the prince who defected to Canada, they're all in the Lord's hand. It's like water that he controls. And he leads and he dies because he's going to accomplish his purpose for his world. See, I, I can tell there are a lot of people in Hong Kong, especially even Christians in churches in Hong Kong who does not believe. They don't believe that. Just look at their actions. You can tell they don't believe it. And I'm trying to wake people up. Government, even if you throw over a government, it will not save you. We're going to have an election. Uh, I'm going to vote for the elections in the states. But all I can say is, no matter who we vote for, even though you can get 90% of people that love the color yellow in different districts, you might get certain things changed a little bit, but it cannot change the heart of a person. That only the gospel and Jesus Christ can do that. Can I get a good amen to that? If you don't believe that, then you're going to continue to pursue after things of this world to thinking that if we could just do this or just have this or if this would happen, then it's going to be, it's not. And I don't know what it's going to take for you to wake up that it is not going to just get magically better by changing or working through all this. That some of you are like, then why even try? That we might just have a fatalistic mindset and say, well, it's no use. No, that's not what God called us to do. We still do good. We still love. We still serve. And believe that God is in control. That he will use everything and anything for his glory and for his purposes. And we're just invited in to be just the instruments to be a part of that. So once again, this, this fight that we're supposed to be fighting, it's supposed to be done in love. And part of it is learning how to understand the will of God. Another thing that I want you to notice is the witness of God. During this time, something that you have to understand, during this time of when the letter was written, the believers were being slandered and falsely accused of evil. Can you 
imagine? Here you are trying to love Jesus, and you are slandered and falsely accused of doing evil. Who were, who was doing that? Who was doing all this stuff? They were the pre-Christians. All the Roman laws that were set in place, because they pretty much ruled that part of the world. All the different laws that were set in place. The people who had power had were from Rome. And they were assigned different governors and different leaders over different cities and different provinces and all that kind of stuff. And what I want you to understand is this. Whenever they looked at Christian, they could not understand them. Because they're doing weird stuff. They're taking bread and they're like, this is his body. Like, huh? They're cannibals. They eat bodies. This is the blood. Oh my God, they're, they're cultish. Like, things didn't make sense to pre-Christians. That's why they were being, sl that's why the pre-Christians were slandering the Christians and evil was spoken about them. So you have to understand that this is part of the persecution that was happening. Therefore, it was so vital, listen to me carefully, it was so vital that believers lived a life of integrity and they will do good, good works to demonstrate the love of God. Are you with me? You don't have to raise your hand. But I'm wondering how many of you who are working have co-workers who used to go to church when they were younger but don't go to church anymore. Some of you who are students, you might have a floor mate or you might have a classmate that as you start getting to know them and studying together and you kind of hear it, you share what you do on the weekends and you kind of share a little bit and then you realize that, oh, they have some kind of knowledge of Christianity. But the more you dig in, the more you realize, wow, they had a bad experience. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about. You all have friends. I hope, well, I hope you're friends, first of all. But you, you know that all of you have some people in your life that you know that had some kind of bad experience. They were hurt by the church. Something happened. So they have this warped view of Christianity. Because for them, it's all about rules and do's and don'ts. And that's how they perceive Christians. One big one is all the hypocrites in the church. Do you know why there are hypocrites? Do you know why? Do you know why? Do you know why? Huh, Pastor, I know why. We're all afraid. To that, I would say yes. That's like saying, God, okay, well, how can I argue with that? There are hypocrites in the church because we're all depraved. But do you know one of the major reasons why we have hypocrites? And a lot of people are turned off by the church because of all the hypocrites. Because we have too many people thinking that they're really good when they're not. Are you with me? If you really understood the gospel, it will show how messed up you are. But for the grace of God. That I can't do anything on my own strength or power, but only by the grace of God. If they heard more of that gospel-centered message through how you live your life, I don't think they will say anything about hypocrisy. The reason why people are turned off by hypocrisy is some of you present yourself and talk like and act like you have everything together, and you don't. None of us do. 
So you don't share your weaknesses. You don't share how you struggle with that too. So they're like, whoa, you're like really different. And you're, because you somehow believed in this thing where you have to be perfect. You have to be a strong Christian, whatever that means to you. So nowhere in this sharing of your witness is there the gospel. And I've said this again and again. People relate more to weaknesses and failures than to successes. Are you with me? Look around you. Look at all the failures in this room. Not that you're a failure, but how many times have we failed? If we put it all together, can you imagine all the failures in this room? If we put all the sin right in the middle, like kind of like your dirty laundry, we put it right in the middle, do you know how it will be a heap of sin? that I don't think any pre-Christian would be like, you're a hypocrite. Because we're already telling them we're messed up. But thanks be to God. That's why earlier in verse 12, just quickly, if you look at verse 12, Peter was encouraging the believers to do good works and watch how they live amongst the pre-Christians because it's very important. And then in verse 15, as we've read, we see this encouragement again to do good. Not because you're good, but because of the grace of God that's working in you. That's why, because you're not a lovable person. You don't just naturally love, but you're able to love now because you understand the love of God in your life. You're just naturally, you're not naturally a forgiving person. You're very vengeful. You like, to, you like to get back at people. You want to. You like seeing them suffer. In a weird way, you find glee and delight when that person you don't like that hurts hurt you, they're suffering. That's your heart. That's who you are. And that's who I am. But because God has forgiven us, we can forgive. Are you with me? Because God has shown us mercy. We can give mercy. Because God has shown us grace, we can give grace to people. And it works the other way around. When you see someone who's very judgmental, you already have a profile, a CIA profile on this guy. Because you already know how, what their relationship with God is. Just look at their behavior. Look at how they respond. Look at what they struggle with. That will give you a window into their relationship with God. If you cannot forgive, then you haven't experienced God's forgiveness in a personal way. You do it here, but you don't know it here. We win people over when we do good, not from ourselves, but because we have experienced the goodness of God. That's what we do good. That's what we love people. Then in verse 16, Peter mentions something that's important about freedom. What he's simply saying is this. Don't use your freedom in Christ to somehow disobey God's law. Well, I'm free in Christ, so I can do whatever. I have this Christian liberty. No, you are, yes, you are free. You're free from sin. You're free from bondage. You're free to love Christ. There's. We all have great freedom in Christ. But he's saying, don't use this Christian liberty or this freedom in Christ to cover up your evil ways. 
So by submitting to authority, it does not eliminate Christian liberty. In fact, what he's saying is that if you really understand your freedom in Christ, you will submit. See, this is where we get it all back backwards. Some of you feel like God is such a demanding God that he wants your whole life. He wants you to serve him. He wants you to walk missions. He wants you to do all this stuff. You're like, oh my God. You feel trapped. I hear all these phrases. I feel trapped. And that's when I realized you don't really know it. You don't, you don't understand. The people who are truly free are those people who understand the gospel so when, I, when I'm able to choose to love God, to serve, to go on mission, I'm the freest of all. Are you with me? I am making that decision because God has set me free and now I can do it. You're not bound to rules and regulation. That's why in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, the message translation says this, It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and to destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to what? Come on, say it. Serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. Then the Apostle Peter closes out this section as he summarizes some of these important Christian traits of being a citizen of the kingdom of God. He talks about honor, love, fearing God. Respect. Why should we honor everyone? Because they're all made in the image of God. Why should we love our brotherhood or our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Because they're part of our spiritual family. Why should we fear God? Because we should be in a sense of awe and wonder of who he is. This reverent, worshipful heart. The fear of God. Why should we honor the king or the emperor, executive director? Why should we why should we honor any of these people? Even the older people in our church, why should we respect them? Because God treated us with love and respect. I think one of the best ways to live out these traits is to pray. That's why in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 4, it talks about that. I'm not going to have time to read it. You can just look it up really quickly here, up on the screen. But he's talking about lifting up prayers and intercessions with thanksgiving. And then verse 2 says, for kings and all those in high position, anyone in spiritual authority or even in any kind of human institution authority, he says, pray for them. And this is where I have a beef with many of us. Is that we're so quick to judge. We're so quick to say something negative. We're so quick to slander people. And be malicious or show malice towards them. But my challenge to you is when was the last time you actually fasted and prayed for them? I was thinking about this for myself. Man, I don't think, I can't even remember a time prior to this message. But I actually pray for Carrie Lamb. I, I, I can't remember. But I have it. And when you see all the death threats and all this stuff, and even when I walk home where where I'm our where we live, 
there's all these different graffitis and different things and very derogatory things. And I'm just like, when was the last time I actually prayed for her? When was the last time I actually prayed for President Xi? Or Donald Trump, for that matter? When? When was the last time you prayed for your leader? Or that life group member that has a lot of extra grace that's required for you to try to love them? When was the last time you actually lifted them up by name? You have it. And they're like, I have. Because I'm very spiritual. Go back to the gospel. But you know what I'm saying? We haven't really poured out our hearts. And that's why Paul tells Timothy to pray with supplication and intercession, with thanksgiving. Pray for those in high positions because we have to not only submit under that human institution that God God willed it, but it's also witness. But we need to ask God to give them wisdom. But here's a nagging question. Huh. Maybe it's not nagging you. It was nagging me. I'm reading this. I'm like, ooh, ah, so here's my nagging question or question. Do we always need to obey human institutions? Like people in higher power? What if they're corrupt? What if that institution is evil? Or they don't have the best interest of the people in mind? Do you still need to submit? I know none of you ask those kind of questions. I, I'm just asking myself. You know, I just typed it up. I was like, oh, I'm going to ask myself. I type it up. What happens when it's against the Bible? And to that, I would say we need to go back to Scripture. There will be times when those in authority will do things that are against God and the heart of God, just like what you saw in the video. And it's in those times where we have to obey God above all human institutions. And I'm going to be very clear here even above your parents. The passage that your parents who are Christians, they go to church, they love quoting all the time. You know the one in Ephesians and Colossians? Obey the Lord and it is fitting or right in the Lord. Like, please don't do an exegesis in front of your parents. Mom, I really don't think you really understand what the Paul, the original language, what it really is. <laughs> When Paul wrote that, he's assuming that when he says, obey your parents, that they not only have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they're following him, his heart. That doesn't mean that if they're not a Christian, that they cannot give you advice that you should listen to. Because there are some things called common wisdom, general wisdom. Save money. But that's wisdom. You don't have to be a Christian to figure that out. Did I need to save, Mom? How do you know that? <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say here. There's common wisdom that even though they're not believers, that they will, that's some things to keep in mind. But if there are things that you know that this is the heart of God, but they are against it, then you have to be able to say, I need to ultimately obey God more than anyone else. In the same way, if the government 
are doing things that you feel like it's, it's not in line with what you see in scripture with conscience and your clear conscience, then I'm not I'm not promoting anarchy, but I will definitely say there have been a lot of people who had civil disobedience and brought change in that way. Well prove it, Pastor. Because in Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, you guys remember what happened? When the disciples, some of them were brought in for questioning in front of the Sanhedrin and some of the Jewish council. This is what it says in verse nine, uh, chapter 4, verse 19. But Peter said, Peter and John replied, judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. A little bit later, in chapter 5, verse 29, listen to what it says. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. What we clearly understand is that with that nagging question is that if you are in a situation that is contrary to the word or what God has spoken to you about, then we see here the heart is we have to ultimately obey God. Now, you need wisdom. So don't be like, well, listen to the sermon, mom, dad. This pastor will tell you everything that you need to know. <laughs> you will not come to our church from this point on. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you right now. It's not going to work. There's a wise way to do it. So that's why don't be asking your peers, what should we do? I don't know. Okay, don't do that. Ask someone who's older, wiser, maybe who's a parent. So that when you say, I was going to tell my mom, just forget you. No, don't do that. <laughs> oh, then what should I do? You see how I'm saying? Let me close out with two. So we must fight with love. Because once again, when you understand what Paul or Peter was saying, is that we are to do the will of God, to be a witness for God. The second major point is that we must focus on Jesus as we're going through the things that we're going through. Look at verse 18 and 20. I'm going to read it for us. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and, uh, to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So what Peter is saying is this. Sometimes when you read this, it's like, oh, servants, and is he advocating slavery, all that kind of stuff, because different translations says different things. But you need to understand the word slave or servants that you will see oftentimes interchangeably in scripture, especially in the New Testament, is that it's a different system than what we understand slavery today. And especially those in the states, because we have a history from the states that's not good. But pretty much that's why a lot of times people will read this and use it as a boss and an employer and employee. Because many of these people were either hired or they were born into that family of other workers and so they became part of that. So there is a different way to look at it. So you got to study your history to understand. Why is this important? Because what he's saying is this, very simple. He goes, if you 
obey and submit and love those people who treat you really well, what credit is that? What benefit? What he's simply saying is this. There will be people who will treat you unjustly. Just think about some of your workplace right now. Your boss might totally like look over you. There's a co-worker who's kind of like trying to get in and push you out. There's a lot of politics going on at work. And so to love those types of people, to serve those types of people, and to submit in a way to your boss, to be a good employee, what he's saying is that when they treat you poorly and then you still do good and you endure suffering and hardships during those difficult times, that what he's saying is this, that that is going to bring maximum glory to God. If you look at verse 19, just different translations, it says, For God is pleased. The NIV says, For it is commendable. The New American Standard Bible says, For this finds favor. When you do something that people treat you nicely or they're, they're a really good boss and you really are able to like submit on this, I mean, that's too easy. What's commendable and where you find favor and what is literally God is pleased with is when you have a horrible boss, a horrible leader, a horrible government official, whatever you want to, horrible blank. Unjust blank. And you're still able to pray for them. You're still able to love them. You're still able to give your 100%. You're still able to produce good things. And you're still able to do good in that place. And that's what he's saying will bring glory and honor to God. And how do you do it? Well, the only way you're going to do it is verse 21 and 25. You know what that is? Let's read it. It says this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly, he himself bore our sin in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are straight for for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned the shepherd and overseer of your soul. I hope as we're reading this, something triggers in your mind because what Peter did was he actually took Isaiah chapter fifty three. Didn't it sound kind of familiar? He took Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4 through 8. And I'll just leave it up there so you guys can just quickly look at it. But pretty much in Isaiah 53, it is a prophetic word from God to the prophet Isaiah talking about the Messiah that is to come. So Peter decided to take Isaiah chapter 53 and share that as some of these people in Asia Minor were going through persecution and some difficult times with people that were above them as they were servants. Now, something else that will help you to understand is this. What happens if your boss, you as a co-worker, go to the same church? Or you, the master, 
and the servant, you let's say there's a servant or a slave, the way we understand it in the biblical times, that they went to the same assembly, same house church. Can everyone say awkward, right? So guess what happens when there's that awkwardness? Guess what happens when you as an employee look at your employers and man, this guy's such a hypocrite. In our company, he's like the big CEO. He acts like a jerk. But in church, he's like singing and and doing all this stuff and going. Yeah, when he does the hosting, he's like happy, smiling. Hi, can I spray you? Hi, how you doing? But then when you're at work, they're just like me. And you're like, mm. That's what Peter is addressing because he realized what that does to an assembly, to a house church, is that it will kill it. There will be disunity. Satan will come in. You're giving him a foothold in that church. So that's why Peter is writing this. To be subjected, not in a negative way, but submitting because you're ultimately doing the will of God. And even though they treat you poorly, can you still love them? Because God has loved you. A lot of our suffering, a lot of our struggles come from relational issues. And they're like, can you still love them when they are unloved? And then Peter closes out this section by simply reminding them in verse 25 of their former condition. What does it say? He says, you were like sheep that went astray, and now you return to the great shepherd. Just don't ever forget where you came from. That's why maybe we always have this attitude of Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. That's why the one thing, once again, is we can face adversity when we submit to God's authority. Because God, I'm ultimately submitting to you. I'm loving you. I'm serving you. Not all these other people I'm trying to please, but it's you and you alone. And when you go through things in your life, you can face it. Let me give us some quick next steps. Pray to do God's will. You cannot do God's will in your own strength. So whatever it is that you have to do this coming week, before you do it, pray. When you're on that train, meditate, pray before you go to work. Before you open up your books or online class, you can't do it on your own. Before you go to life group, pray. So pray to do the will of God. Pray for the people that get on your nerve, the things that you're facing. Pray to do God's will. But the second thing is this, picture the cross. Always have that cross in front of you. Whatever it takes. Think about the suffering that Jesus went through for your sins and my sins. Because it says, follow in his footsteps. When you think about how he was beaten, he didn't say anything. He was whipped. Skin being ripped apart from the back. Crown of thorns and nails in his hand. Nail in his feet. Picture the cross. And every single time you feel like you're unjustly accused of something, Whenever you feel like, I'm entitled to something, just picture that cross, and you realize you don't deserve anything. It was your sins, my sins, our sins, that nailed him to the cross. May that humble us, and make us pray, and learning how to endure. Third and last thing, 
is point everything back to God's worthiness. The question is, is Jesus Christ worth it of your sacrifice? As many of you know, Open Doors is a ministry that was started to actually go to some of the hardest places around the world. Since then, they've been a big, strong proponent of persecution or the persecuted church. So they're highlighting all these persecuted churches. And I hope you understand there are people, and I sent something out to the leaders this past week, and like I totally forgot this month, but five some years ago was when was 21, 20 uh, some Coptic Christians in orange jumpsuits were lined up on the beach, and they were all beheaded. They said that part of that beach was all red with blood that was spilled. I pray that none of us will ever have to go through that, where we have to lay down our lives, like physically lay down our lives and be martyred. But my question is this, if you had to, would you? Is Jesus Christ worth it? That you will lay down your life, even to the point where you will be down for what you believe? kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Are you willing to go on missions? Is your life that important to you? You cannot sacrifice several weeks to say, God, I want to do, I want to be a part of what you're doing. To stick around a year or two after graduation because I want to reinvest in the things that God has invested in me. pray God will cut through all the BS. I don't know if I can say that, but you, you know what I'm saying. Cut through all that fat. Some of you talk a good talk. Well, I'm trying to evangelize to my blank, blank, blank. Oh, I, I'm really trying to grow in this area. Yeah, you, have, you have that Christian needs down. Yeah. You can fool a lot of people. You can even fool the pastors. But you can't fool God. Because at the end of the day, some of you, what you worship is yourself. Like we love ourselves so much that we feel that we are so worthy that we cannot sacrifice anything. And I pray that you will get your eyes away from yourself, picture the cross, and see who Jesus is and what he has paid as a penalty and as a ransom for us to be rescued and saved. And in that high price that he paid with his life, spilling of the blood, may it humble us and say, God, nothing, nothing is too great. Nothing is too sacrificial for me to do. My whole life is yours. So I want to show you this quick video of just quick snippets of pictures around the world, people worshiping, some of these persecuted countries. And the song in the background is by one of the Christian groups. Uh, the song is a little bit more upbeat. So you might, you, you might be discombobulated. You're usually ready for that, you know. So it's a little bit upbeat. But look at the pictures. And I pray that God will give you a heart for his heart and what he wants. Let's watch it. Let's stand together as we close here.
want to take some time this morning just to reflect and then respond in prayer. We've covered the first two chapters of First Peter. Chapter 3, chapter 4, there's going to be a lot more stuff coming. But I'm just praying that we will be a church that knows God's word and we will obey it. I'm telling you, you, some of it, you you don't even know what's going to hit you. There's going to be a lot more trials, a lot more difficulties. Like all my friends, I'm at an age now, like some of our parents are slowly passing away. Just because I do other speaking engagements, I'm responsible for the other HMCC churches, so I go to the States maybe at least once a year. But I always wonder to myself, is this the last time I might actually see them? Because by being 12 hours away by plane, or longer, I guess it's like 18 some hours, that when something happens, pretty much I'm gonna be in route. I don't know, maybe I'm just morbid. I think about these weird things like that. So I've, I've counted the cost a long time ago, surrendering my parents, surrendering my family. But this, that's the human heart. So you see them, you realize, oh, they're getting older. And then you have to re-surrender them again. I thought I gave up some of my own ambition and my own goals and something pops up and you realize, oh, I'm going to surrender it again. You will never be done. You know when you're going to be done? Tell the person next to you when they're going to be done. Do you know? Say, when you die. Go ahead and tell them. That's when you will be done. But until that day, it's a process that's going to take a long time. And he is chipping away at some of you. And he's chipping away hard. And some of you, everything inside of you says, just run away, give up, don't do it anymore. And that's another, I, I don't see too many people in our generation with grit. That will climb another mountain, sing sound of music, and you know, climb every mountain. And willing to go through all the difficulties and struggles. We love comfort. We love security. We love safety. And I'm telling you, those are the places that you don't see too many great things. Oftentimes, it's where it's most dangerous. But there is no comfort. There is no safety. Not in the worldly sense. I mean, it's great if God could bless us with a lot of money, bless us with all the stuff, material things, but I'm challenging you. Is he worth it that if he says you will never make more than you could, you've ever made even at this point? Like, we're talking about you're, you're not going to make a lot of money. 
that dream or that fame that you are seeking after, you're not going to even get close. And I don't know why you would want it. Because you might be at a restaurant and someone sees you and then they take a picture and send it all to everybody in your life. Like, I don't know why anyone would want to be famous. You just won't have a normal life. Well, pastor, fame comes with money and money. Then you go for it. And once you get it, tell me how it feels. Because I'm on the slowly getting to the other side now and I'm realizing there's a lot of things that I chased after when I was younger. As you start getting older and older, you realize more and more, you can testify to it, that nothing will fully satisfy except for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And I don't fault you, please, don't listen. I've been where you are, college student, single adult. So we're different trajectories, but I've been there, so I don't fault you. I'm just saying, if I learned some of these things earlier, if some of you can learn this earlier, the things that I've been able to witness and the things that I was able to do and the things that I was able to see with my eyes and God work powerfully, you will see not only those things, but more. That's what I want for you. That's, that's the Father's heart. I want you to go way beyond me. That means that you got to get to a point where you will surrender your life and ask yourself, have I counted the cause? And is Jesus Christ worth it? Is he worthy of giving my whole life, my whole future? It is right there in the center of his will where you will find the greatest peace, the greatest joy, the greatest purpose in life. Anything outside of that, I'm telling you, you're going to be searching, scratching, crawling, climbing, and you're going to feel so empty in your heart. Book of Ecclesiastes, read it sometimes. It will wake you up. A person who had everything in this world. But at the end of the day, everything is meaningless. So I pray that you will somehow get captured with a humongous vision of who God is. It will enrapture you. You will want to know who this Jesus is. The, the God who created all the stars and the galaxies and this big, tremendous, infinite God who yet so distant from us but yet so near who knows us by name who loves us and that will melt our hearts and we don't have to look for security in anything else we are secure already in Christ we are a royal priesthood a holy nation people belonging to him that he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light you know that there's nothing you will fear. In fact, people will fear you of that kind of level of confidence. And I'm wondering when will we ever raise up these types of people with this kind of level of not cockiness, but this confidence because they know that God is greater and bigger than anything else in this world. People who know that and they say, God, my life is like a dot of a dot of a dot of a dot of a dot and a dot and of a dot and a dot. So minute, so small, almost to the point of feeling so insignificant. Who, am, who are we, Lord, that you are so mindful of us? But knowing that, then responding in that to say, God, here's my whole life. 
I'm telling you right now, you will never regret it. To this day, I have not met a single person who just jumped all in and said, get me out. The problem is those people who jumped out, they already had just one foot in. They weren't all in. There is no plan B. When you're all in, this is all you have. That's what the disciple says. You don't want to leave too, Jesus said. And the disciples, to whom shall we turn to, Lord? You have the word of life. We're all in, Jesus. And look at them. They started a darn movement that changed the world. I want that before I die. I want to see it. But when we don't have people all in, because they're choosing comfort, they're choosing what they want, oh, it's too hard, and all this stuff, we're not going to get there. So I'm praying, God, by your grace, we cannot generate it. I cannot try to beat it into people. God, it has to be your Holy Spirit convicting us of our sin, exposing all that self-centeredness. All that stuff that we make so much about ourselves, make so much about how great we are. And God, humble us to say, God, how great you are, how awesome you are. You're worthy of everything that I have. I lay it all down. Even if I get buried in a gravestone where no one will know, all I know is that when I see you face to face, you will call out my name. And you will say, well done, my good and faithful son. That's why I've been encouraging some of you to go visit a graveyard. It just puts everything in perspective. I always find it fascinating some of these graveyards. You can tell how, how rich they are by, by how big the tombs are. <laughs> some of them actually have little castles. I'm like, they just won't die. They just want to still. When I was in Korea, early 2000s, a bunch of pastors, we had an opportunity to meet all the megachurch pastors. It was, it was a great honor, a great privilege. Met all these big name dudes who have like 50,000, 100,000 member churches in Korea. Largest church, Presbyterian church, largest Methodist church, a lot of uh, full gospel church. A lot of Baptist, big, largest Baptist churches. For all the big churches, we met with all these pastors. They gave us a little talk. We had some good Korean food. And then we're just talking. And then we went to a morning prayer at 4 in the morning. I said, I will never do this ever again. Lord, please save me. And we will have these conversations. But one thing that I will never forget from that trip is we actually went to this cemetery, which they call it the Martyr or the Missionary Cemetery. This is the cemetery where all the first missionaries that came to Korea, that's where they're buried. So it was one of those holy, hollow moments where we're walking around and all of a sudden I come to this part of this cemetery and I look and I realize, my God, this is a whole family because there was a, a mom and a dad and then there were these little graves. I mean, I kid you not, they were about this big. And, and the headstone was about this tall. And I just realized that they buried their child. I don't know about you, but seeing that, it just kind of puts everything in perspective. These guys in the late 1800s, they literally took their coffins with them on that boat and they sailed 
and things that I'm going to die in that place. There's no return trip. Oh, I'm going to come back in February. No, I can change it. I'm going to come back in March. Oh, no, I'm going to come back in... They're all in. There is no turning back. They knew that they were going to die there and be buried there. And that's why Korea, as many of you know, the reason why they have all these large churches is because the level of sacrifice people went there to share the gospel. And I'm praying that that would happen in China, all over Central Asia, and eventually to the Middle East. But we're not going to get there unless we have people who are all in and say, Jesus, you are worth it. Only then, I believe that we're going to see some great things. Let's not think about China, Middle East. Let's, let's think about just Hong Kong. This is a big enough mission field already. Just think about your campus. Some of you have no heart. You just go there for school and that's it. You get your degree and live for yourself. I pray that God will break you, humble you. Yes, he doesn't need any of us. But when he's inviting us to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves, and when he laid out his life for you, how can you not respond and say, God, here's my life. I know I've been having conversations with some of you, calling, all that kind of stuff. You're called because you're a follower of Christ that wherever that will lead, you go. And you do. We're going to stop preaching on First Peter because like every week I'm just getting excited by myself. And what I'm sharing is what I get excited about. And we'll go over some of Solomon uh, during the summer or something. I don't know. I'm thankful that you allow me to share my heart. And there are times where I just feel so strong like this is the heart of God. That's like fire trapped up in my bones. I gotta share it. And you know what? I know very well that there will be people who will leave our church. They're like, oh my God, no. But praise the Lord. I don't know why God made me this way. I really don't care. Like other pastors are like, oh my God, we're gonna lose people. I don't know why God didn't you know, wire me up this way. We all have different gifts. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. All I know is that what he places in my heart what he convicts me of. Because when I preach, I know it's going to be a good word when it convicts my heart. I need to repent. I need to get back right with God. So I'm praying that as we continue in the book of 1 Peter, may it challenge us to lay it all down. To build a faith that is so strong that no matter what we go through in our lives, another virus, another protest, another persecution, there's going to be something, trust me, there's going to be something else that we're going to learn, get smarter, get more stronger in our hearts so that we won't keep on going back to the same thing over and over and over again. For every one of those denials, I pray that God will give you mercy. And then when another exam comes up, pass it. Pass that test. 
so you can get to the next subject. And God will open up doors that you've never imagined before. So Father, I just pray for every single person in our church right now. Lord, start with each one of our hearts in our relationship with you. I pray that there will be a, a purifying work of your Holy Spirit. Just help us to go deeper with you. Forgive us, Lord, when we trust so much in programs and things that we're familiar with that we've been doing. Lord, we, we, we long for those times when your spirit moves so powerfully. We don't even have an end time. We just we just flow and say, God, just do, do your work. Move in us. Help us to respond. I'm praying for every person, Lord, who's struggling with an issue or a decision. Whatever it may be, Lord, that's weighing heavy on us. I pray that as we read in your word, that we will truly experience this freedom. The freedom that comes to choose. And as we choose, Lord, no longer will we burden, put this burden on our shoulder, but we'll lay it at the cross. And I pray that you will raise up a whole new generation of people in our church that will love you, that will worship you, that will count you as their ultimate, their supreme, to lay it all down, to say that you're worthy. Lord, may it not just be in our worship, in our songs, but I pray more than anything else, it'll be through our lives. May our lives be a worship. A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. For this is our spiritual act of worship. So take us, Lord. Transform us from deep within. Renewing our minds, our hearts. And even if that means we have to put it back on the altar again and again. Lord, help us to do that. And more and more, we won't take it off. We'll just leave it there. And with open hands to receive whatever you have for us. Lord, I pray against any issues of bondage with in relation to our parents or other people. God, that you will break that in Jesus' name and that you will set some of us free in such a way that we have never felt this freedom ever before. I just pray that you work on the parents' heart, all of our parents' heart. I pray that you will work on some of these relational issues. Work through our hearts, Lord, with the things that we hold so tightly to. So, Lord, as we have more confidence, as we feel and experience your love, God, that we will have the courage to slowly let go. May we walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to step out, trust that you are the God who provides for all things to provide, Lord, this, even this coming week. As we pray to do your will, as we picture the cross, and as we point everything back to who you are and why we do what we do. Oh, Lord Jesus, have your way in us. Have your way in us, Lord. Space to respond to God. Come on, just let Him know what you're feeling. The way that the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart, just go ahead. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. 
For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.